Good day and welcome to Longevity Now. It is the place for all your news and views of life extension from around the world. Recently, we have taken a tour away from the hard science of life extension and rejuvenation to talk about some of the important philosophical and ethical issues surrounding the effort. We spoke with Lori Zoloth earlier this year about the ethics of developing and distributing future treatments. We spoke with Andy and Kay Walker about how human beings could change with the adoption of technology. In this episode with James Barrett, author of Our Final Invention, we discussed the problems that could arise with the advent of advanced technology, specifically artificial intelligence. And now I am very pleased to welcome to the Longevity Now podcast the author of Our Final Invention, James Barrett. Great to be here. Before we get started, I usually like to begin with a little brief background of the guest. Could you let uh, everyone know uh, how you became interested in the subject matter of sure. our final invention? Yeah, it may take a couple of sentences, Justin. I'm a documentary filmmaker. I've made a lot of films for National Geographic and public television and discovery and uh, in the U.S. and a lot of films in Europe as well. And I made a film around the year 2000 about AI, and I got to meet the man who was then my, one of my heroes was, was Ray Kurzweil. I interviewed him for it. I interviewed Rodney Brooks, who's the, kind of the premier roboticist of our time. And those two were extremely optimistic about the day that would come when we would share the planet with smarter-than-human machines. And I was totally, you know, I'd swallowed the pill. I was with him. Then I interviewed Arthur C. Clarke, the science fiction writer. And before Arthur C. Clarke was a science fiction writer, he was a mathematician. Um, not many people, some people don't know that. He had a relationship with, with NASA because before he became a science fiction writer, he uh, wrote a book of equations about how to get a payload out of Earth's orbit. And when he wrote 2001 A Space Odyssey and he and Stanley Kubrick were making the film, he had entree to NASA because he'd written those equations. He was completely dystopian about the question of, of sharing the planet with smarter than human machines. He said, we steer the future not because we're the fastest creature or the strongest, but because we're the smartest. And when we share the planet with something smarter than we are, it will steer the future. Okay. Yeah. That's when, when I got hooked. How you got hooked into it. Yeah. So you've been investigating the topic of artificial intelligence for a while now and quite knowledgeable about who is doing what in the field. Uh, there are many arguments, of course, pro and con, which you kind of touched on already. Today... On a scale of 1 to 10, how worried are you that the invention of artificial general intelligence will result in a bad outcome for humans? I would say uh, 10, because it's happening right now. You know, what's, I mean, Stephen Hawking framed the question really well when he said, in the short term, the problem with AI is, is who controls it. In the long term, can it be controlled at all? What's happening right now is, behind the scenes, um, we're developing battlefield robots and drones that are that will be autonomous. There are 56 nations developing battlefield robots. The most sought after will be autonomous. That means they'll be able to kill without a human in the decision loop. And the same thing with drones. They're, these machines are being developed right now. So I think we're going to see bad outcomes from, from, from AI right away. Artificial general intelligence is, is further down the road. And I, I think, unfortunately, because of our relationship with technology, with how our stewardship always follows way behind our innovation, we're going to uh, make serious mistakes with artificial general intelligence. Okay, well that kind of brings me up to the next question a listener wanted to know about uh, techno-pessimism, as he termed it. 
it seems to be pretty popular in sci-fi blockbuster movies and uh, superstitious people out there, you know, always kind of thinking negatively. Uh, consistently, more developed cultures seem to at least try to take care of cultures of, uh, you know, lesser development. And it also seems that people, as we have more comfort in the modern day, the level of things like vegetarianism and veganism is on the rise, implying, you know, more concern for lower life forms. Uh, why would Gosh, I, you know, I why would we I, I disagree with both oh, of okay. You, okay, yeah. that's fine. I don't, I don't think we do. I don't think we okay. do take particularly good care of animals. And I don't think we, we take particularly good care of people who are less technologically advanced than we are. Okay. So uh, then you, that would lead you to believe that uh, there's no reason that uh, something more intelligent than us would feel some, any kind of no duty to take care of lower <laughs> life forms. Right. No, no. Our, okay. you know, look at, look at, look at Columbus and the Tiano. Look at, uh, Look at every encounter with technology. You know, there's a great book by Jared Diamond, Gun, Germs, Guns, Germs, and Steel, about how uh, more advanced, technologically advanced people um, never treat uh, technologically disadvantaged people kindly. But that, what we're doing right now is engaging in rampant anthropomorphism because we're, we're not talking about a, uh, a, a, an ancestor of ours or a, uh, a predecessor of ours when we're talking about machines. They won't be like us. They don't have our mammalian heritage of empathy. Um, we, we can't expect that they'll behave anything like us. The only way they'll behave anything like us is if we deliberately program that behavior into them. And um, that is the problem of our time. Okay. How to make friendly, friendly super-intelligent machines. Speaking of a pessimistic outcome, I'd like to hear what you have to say about the prospect of AI taking over many knowledge worker jobs. That used to oh, be yeah. the province completely of human workers. I mean, between AI and robotics, a lot of people see a future of massive human unemployment. Do you agree with those predictions? Yes, I absolutely do. And I want to go back and defend AI in a minute, but let me get through the massive unemployment first, briefly. A lot of indicators are pointing to uh, giant job instability and, and displacement coming yes. up. There are 7 million professional drivers in this country. Seven million truck drivers, cab drivers, delivery people who are going to be without jobs very soon. There well, are... in fact, I just wrote, read a headline five minutes before we started the interview yeah. about how the uh, mining company Rio says their automated, their bot-driven trucks do much better than human drivers that they've yeah. tested in their minds. Uber wants autonomous vehicles. Um, you know, it's not enough to put cab drivers out of business. Now they want to, they're, they're going to put drivers, human drivers out of business. Uh, there are 5 million people who do, who do data entry and, and, and back office uh, business operations that are, that are going away. Um, there are a lot of jobs that have already been taken by automation and artificial intelligence. And up ahead, it's going to, it's going to cut deeply into the middle class. You know, right now, IBM's Watson is studying to take the federal medical licensing exam. It's doing business analytics that we pay people, used to pay people 250 bucks an hour to do. You just give it raw, unstructured data about your corporation and it spits out um, uh, information, it answers questions, it proposes plans for, for being more efficient. Hmm. Um, Watson is also, you know, Watson can identify cancer cells in an x-ray better than humans can um, right now. Watson is doing first-year legal, dis legal discovery, which is what first-year law associates do. So there's not there's not any doubt that uh, that machines will um, okay will replace jobs. It used to be, I mean, in history, 
advances in technology have not yielded a net dec uh, decrease in jobs because new jobs were created. But I think we have a lot to worry about with AI because I'm not sure we can, we can count on that kind of retraining working with AI because it is cutting so deep into the middle class. It used to be the people that were the lost jobs in, uh, to, to automation could train up and then get into management, get into more skilled jobs. But those skilled jobs are really uh, coming under fire as well. Okay. Well, with robotics and automation, there might be some disruption, of course. But at least the organizations leading these advances seem to have fairly good intentions, essentially producing more goods per unit of energy and hopefully meaning more comfort for human beings in the future. But something that you touched on earlier, what about weapons development? To me, this seems to be the biggest near-term threat, not only because these systems are built to kill, but also because the development seems to be the least transparent. Do you agree? Yeah, I totally agree. You know, the NSA, the National Security Agency, just made the, the history's biggest assault on our Constitution by, with, with, uh, with, by tapping into the lines that carry the whole, all the transmission data of the Internet and putting together from that your address book and mine. And they did, did, that, did that with AI by using, um, by using very clever, very advanced data mining tools. It used to be that you owned your phone conversation and you owned your, your mail. Uh, the NSA decided that you, you didn't own that any longer. It wasn't protected by the Fourth Amendment. They could seize it without probable cause. And so they've, they've been usurping the Fourth Amendment with, um, with data mining tools. This is going to that's, – that's scary because the NSA has a $50 billion black budget. That means nobody can see it except a few people in Congress – and you can bet that they aren't very technologically astute. Right. A lot to worry about. And the, the military defense uh, complex. Yes. Well, let's talk about that topic of oversight. I've interviewed quite a few AI researchers in the past, and they've all mostly predicted the onset of you know, artificial general intelligence within, oh, hmm. let's say, a decade or two. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> the field has gained momentum. And computers and software have become more capable, of course. The only thing I haven't seen much of is oversight whether public or private, have you seen any increase in the last few years in oversight of the development of artificial intelligence? Well, you know, there are some people are making nods towards that, and we should pay close attention to the people that are trying to do good things about it. Um, when DeepMind was sold to Google for $500 million, the founders got together. DeepMind was a very successful AI company in Great Britain. They got together and they said, as a condition of this sale, we want you, Google, to establish a safety and ethics board. Now, that's unprecedented for a group of developers to hold up the sale of $500 million sale because of safety and ethics. So they were doing two things. They were acknowledging that AI is potentially a very, very dangerous technology. And then B, that uh, it's time to start doing exactly what you said, Justin, and that's making steps towards oversight. In my mind, that seems to be the best way forward is some sort of oversight or some sort of legal restrictions that anyone working on the development of artificial intelligence must at least think about what effect their software yeah. will have on humans and society in general. Do you think that would be a good step? Yes. You know, there was a, there's a great um, thing that happened with recombinant DNA. Uh, in the 70s, the DNA researchers, who were also looking at a pro very profitable, potentially profitable business, stopped research and got together at Aslamar in, in California, the Aslamar Conference Center. 
they established the Aslamar protocols, which start out with basically with things like don't track the DNA out on your shoes. You might pollute the environment. Those guidelines worked. They, they went back to work, and now we've got you know, promising gene therapies. We've got some crops, genetically modified crops, whether you're pro or con those. They, they, there's, a, a lot of, there's a promising future for the technology. We've seen it happen before. You know, then we've seen huge mistakes with governing technology, like nuclear fission. The nuclear fission, for your listeners, uh, is the science behind nuclear power plants and nuclear bombs. And since that was developed, it's been, a, it's been pretty much a nightmare for our, our survival. All right. Well, lastly, I was just wondering if you have any new work coming up that you'd like to promote, maybe any appearances you might be making, any new documentaries, perhaps? Well, I'm, I'm working on a documentary about Ebola and other zoonotic diseases. I just came back from Sierra Leone, and uh, I was also in Bangladesh. In, in Sierra Leone, West Africa is, was one of the countries hardest hit by the Ebola outbreak in 2014. Yes, um, they're just they're just crawling back from that. There's a vaccination that works against Ebola uh, to prevent Ebola, and there's a couple of there's a drug that can stop Ebola if you're already infected, and those are being used in, in Sierra Leone. So that'll be out on some station next uh, spring. So okay, keep an eye out for a film called Outbreak. Will do. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Barrett, for joining us on Longevity Now. Sure thing. Glad to be here, Justin. So, as we race headlong into this radical future, do me and Mr. Barrett a favor. Pause once in a while to consider the consequences and attempt to map out a beneficial implementation of new technology. Maybe we will spare ourselves some heartache or something worse. Until next time, I'm Justin Lowe.